What is up? I'm your host, Dr. Sox. And I'm Dr. Jaren Jones, uh, and welcome to another episode of the Quarantine Snacks Podcast, a.k.a. the QSP. Where you come for the healthy snacks, but you leave with some soul food. What's happening, Jay? A lot, but, you know, uh, we're making it, um, and uh, we're going to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, so today on QSP, man, um, this feels like one of those... Um, I don't have good words for it, but this is an urgent episode. It's an important episode. Uh, it's an important time uh, in America. And so today we're going to talk about simply uh, one word, one word today, um, black. Uh, I put together my black shades, eyeglasses, frameless, you feel me? I uh, got on my T'Challa shirt, like you said. <laughs> uh, today's... <laughs> Whatever. Uh, since my boy won't do it, since Chad won't do it anymore, I got you. I got you. <laughs> but yeah, man, I totally, um, you know, being black, just black, um, as if that won't enough. So today we're going to chat a little bit about that. How's that sound? I like it, man. I like it. I think um, I think it's needed uh, for us uh, as, as friends, as uh, you as a mental health expert, me and leadership, and both of us as DNI uh, practitioners. Uh, outside of that, black men, uh, black partners and relationships, uh, black sons, uh, black friends, <laughs> whether it's one of your many black friends or your only black friend. Uh, these are conversations that you know you all might not be privy to because you might not be on the other side of these conversations where you sit. Um, so this is something for our people but also for those who are looking to be allies. And we're hoping that you might be able to get something from it. But uh, truthfully, uh, the, the, I, I believe our, our, our genuine focus is checking on each other, our mental health, how to help other people process through this the best way possible, provide some understanding through that conversation. Um, and we think everybody will benefit from it. So that's, that's kind of the, uh, the urgency of now. You know. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, um, and just in case, you know, you happen to be listening to us someday this after May 29, 2020, um, we've got some horrible news most recently in the news um, about uh, what it's like to be Black. Um, you know, we recently um, heard about George Floyd. Uh, before that, Breonna Taylor. Um, we have um, a trans young man whose name escapes me, Jay, um, down in Florida. Um, Gotta make sure to get it. I think it was Jacksonville, um, and I want to make sure that what we're doing is making space for these people who were killed, especially by police officers. Um, so today, um, I want to make sure, and like you said earlier, I want to make sure that what we do is we just start to record these conversations, right? Um, I think a lot of gems come through us just bouncing ideas around, and I'm hoping that today uh, that these snacks, like you said in our, uh, our, our, our tagline. Uh, that some of these snacks will land in folks' souls. Um, that's really the, the MO today. So, um, you know, I think this, this episode started with, um, like, this group chat, man, this group chat that we got going. Uh, you know, you, me, a couple other guys that we rolled with in Gainesville before we all kind of split up and started going different directions. Um, we just started checking on each other, man. Like, today, just, I don't know who it was, if it was you or somebody else in the chat, we just said, tell us how y'all doing. Um, Man, and that started something. That really started something. Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely, man. Because the thing is, um, 
we've all been trying to figure out how to navigate, uh, you know, this, especially this past week, but really months yeah. really our whole life. But um, <laughs> yeah. it, it feels like as a, as a, as an African-American, we go through waves. I don't know if you've noticed this too, but it feels like it's not one instance, it's compounded by several instances where either uh, blatant racism is involved or conscious, unconscious bias, uh, prejudice that has turned deadly for us, um, where it's just so many emotions and feelings. You don't even have time to process one death because there's another yeah. death, or there's another death. We have three deaths, and we also have uh, instance of you know bird watching in Central Park and using your blackness to weaponize the urgency for police to come um, as a threat. So, like, <laughs> you, you, at some point, it, it's it's you have to protect your mental health. You have to protect yourself, and it just seems like it's more of the same. Yeah. And we're yeah. seeing what happens when unheard hurt um, decides to say hey, it seems like the peaceful protest, it seems like the kneeling doesn't help, doesn't, is, is unheard, nothing changes. Um, and it shouldn't take rioting, it shouldn't take protesting to have people recognize our pain. But more importantly, with that pain, we don't want you to just say, hey, we see it. We want change, we want progress, you know. Um, I, could, I was trying to think of something to do with my time. I was like, I got to figure out a way to be creative. I got to figure out a way to do something. Uh, you know, the Facebook posts are great, but like, like who, how am I staying who I am in my sanctity of, of how I take up space for myself? And it was just like, you know, I draw. I haven't drawn anything in a while, but mm -hmm. I'm watching, you know, I go back and, and look and listen and be like, you know, what did our leaders do in this time period? You know, and I'm mm -hmm. watching videos of, uh, Dr. King during the Civil Rights Movement, during the March, yeah. um, here's some of the riots that happened uh, during that time. And I was watching a clip that's being, it's, it's resurfaced and it talks about, you know, riots are the, are the, the voice of the voices of the unheard, right? Mm -hmm. But the last part of that clip for me, um, I just had to just draw it because it kind of instilled into my head and it says, you know, social justice and progress are the guarantors of riot prevention. Uh, Part of my mental wow. this is my adult coloring, you know? Oh, wow. You know, wow, brother. But I said, it says social justice and progress are the guarantors mm -hmm. of riot prevention. So, mm -hmm. actions to uh, a lack of justice, uh, yeah. lack of progress. And I'm looking at these videos and they're still relative today. You know, we're, we're not seeing it as blatant as often. But then at the same time, is it that it, maybe it hasn't gotten as, as better as we think it is, but it's just now being recorded more. Um, I don't yeah. know. It's, yeah, it's, man. It's been a lot, man. It's been a lot. And I've been trying to process uh, hurt, anger, fear, determination, um, hope, but uh, probably more frustration and anger than anything else. And so I'm hoping that I can we can talk that out because I think other people are feeling the same way. Um, yeah. I'm not so sure if there's much hope on their side, um, understanding how to process that for activism 
uh, for the change that you want to see and also making sure that we aren't becoming the evil that we protest against. And that's hard um, because honestly, every very strong leader that we had that showed us the process of how to organize and how to push through has been assassinated historically. And so we are still those protesters and descendants of those protesters without that same level of leadership. And I think that we have to understand how the strategy, how the how, how to look at everything and put pieces together to figure out what do we want, how do we want it, how do we go about getting it, and making sure we're sane in that process. Wow, wow. I think you just wrote a book, bro. Um, <laughs> that's wild. Um, I really, uh, gosh, man, I, I don't think I could connect more with the sentiment right now. Um, you and I spoke briefly about kind of anger, you know, um, there's some research, a previous uh, advisor, my supervisor, uh, Anthony Green, uh, he had talked about when I was under his supervision back in probably 2014, 2013, um, then like the one thing that, the one emotion that black men were allowed to express was anger. Um, and there's a whole world of research out there about masculinity, anger, and how anger, I, I teach some anger management classes, and, Part of that process is understanding that anger is often what we call a secondary emotion. Um, it's usually fueled by something else, right? Something under the anger. So, you know, you get in the house and, you know, your, your partner doesn't make you feel happy, well, you express some anger. But what might be actually happening is under that anger is hurt, right? Something that, that might be a little more vulnerable. And the anger, um, the ways that you express that anger, right? The riots that you've seen, the burning down of AutoZone, burning down of Target, the looting, all the things that are happening all over, not just Minnesota, Minneapolis, right, but all over the place. Um, what we've seen is this is a response to hurt, right? To uh, a systemic hurt, a systemic oppression. Um, it is, it is, it feels in some ways much like when we respond from a place of anger and someone's been pissing us off a little bit by little bit for a long time. This feels exactly like that, but if you put, instead of like a long time, you add, I don't know, 400 years. Um, right generation after generation after generation of, of these micro, like microaggressions, right? You're working DEI or similar, but these like micro insults, these micro cuts. Um, I think the authors were, um, I think it was Sue and Sue, if I remember correctly, they talked about microaggression um, and this idea that these, that they're taking, it's like these micro cuts, like death by a thousand cuts. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking like black folks, man, we're tired of bleeding out. Um, tired of feeling the same sentiment and nothing is changing. Um, and that all it takes, the only difference to that quote that you know, Will Smith had at least posted on his IG, I don't know if he bothered it, but um, this idea that you know, racism isn't happening more frequently now, it's, people are just recording it. So uh, the young man, um, I think it was, was it Tony Mc, I don't know this dude's name, that's why I pulled it up on my phone. Um, just the, the, the young trans man, uh, Tony McDade, yeah, who was killed recently by the police officer, um, you know, nobody caught it on camera. So as a result, what happens? Well, his story goes unheard. Um, you got it right, yeah. yeah. And honestly, you know, I hadn't heard about it, so I'm thinking you bringing that to light, you know. And, and honestly, I've been so caught up in the ones that have been videotaped and, you know, following, you know, the, the folks who are telling us, you know, to make the phone calls and send the emails and things like that. I didn't even know about that. So, uh, and so what happened in brief, man, yesterday, uh, yesterday morning, Tony McDade is uh, a young man who, uh, as a trans, identifies as a trans male, um, and what happened was he was killed, I believe, 
uh, black police officers in uh, Jacksonville and Tallahassee, sorry, Tallahassee Police Department. Um, black trans male, uh, prior to being shot and fatally wounded by a police officer, he posted a video to his Facebook page recounting a horrific beating he received from five men because a black trans man. After the cops um, you know, showed up, he ended up being shot by a police officer. Um, and the reason this matters so much, right, is because the LGBTQ SQL population, um, there are there's much more mental health issues there than there are in the general population, hetero and or cisgender populations. Um, you know, there's much more, not just mental health, right, but the, the stigma around seeking mental health, let's say for black people, persists even more so in those populations, right? Um, I'm working on a paper, you and I talked about that briefly, where I'm having to review um, not just the barriers to black men seeking mental health services, which are things like cool, the cool pose, which we can talk about another time, maybe um, black women, some of the barriers to them, which are um, some of these phenomena like IBW, the invincible black woman syndrome, um, as well as the super, uh, like super black woman uh, schema, something like that. Um, but, it's the, but the concept is that trans folks they don't get as much research um, dollars and things like that so that their stories go untold, unheard, their experiences go unrecognized. So it's important um, that we also pay attention to that experience in Tallahassee because um, you know, what's happening in the front with George Floyd is like, wow, you know, we got a video. And because we have a video, it's being in some ways sensationalized to the point that you know, Donald Trump is making comments about his life, um, which, um, for better or worse, means that it's got somebody's attention. Yeah, absolutely, man. And and, and hearing about uh, Tony McDay, I mean, you know, you, you think about this, un, this, this, this happening right on the eve of Pride Month, you know, and so like, people are already trying to figure out how they can just show up and take up space and, and live authentically them. Um, it's just, it's, it's another layer to that onion we keep talking about of, you know, just identity, identity in, a, in, a, in, a, in, in culture and society and where you feel comfortable, where you feel safe. And it's just, you know, it is, there's just so many instances where things should be better, should have been better. Um, and if it goes unheard, these things continue to happen and nothing changes. Um, I don't know. It's uh, usually I'm a very positive, peppy. You know, yeah. I sit in my emotions and my feelings, and I process the emotions. Um, I think about other people and their lived experience and how they see the same thing differently, and I can't fault them. Uh, but to what extent do you lose your identity in trying to not acknowledge the hurt and pain and fear? Uh, that you can feel. I mean, you know, um, I mean, people like you and I and like countless other Americans and just human beings, the, the intent to, the intent or the thought that if I do things the right way, if I am considerate of others, if I, you know, um, am a, a model citizen, uh, how, what, what's that defined is based upon the majority of that democracy. Um, and we'll talk about that too, um, how you take up space. Um, but the idea that if I do things the right way, my life is guaranteed, at least to a higher percentage, to be long and not cut short. Um, yes. But also the idea that I can't defend or question or 
I have to go limp mm. to mm. survive. Mm. And when, <laughs> I mean, I've been in situations where, you know, the goal is make the officer feel comfortable and just get home. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You get home. Because if you don't get home, what is, you know, what does it matter? They, they're probably not going to get convicted anyway. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. It's that fear. Every People don't understand. Some people do. But I don't think people understand the constant pressure is as a black person in America most of the time. We usually peel off oh, the assimilation, the, the having to make people feel comfortable, the the the, the W.B. Du Bois calls it the duality of being African American. You know, it's understanding right. African American and an American, right? And yeah. you, your your percentage to thrive is your ability to understand both and navigate those back and forth, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. You feel like you're often in spaces where I know I'm African American. I know the fear that society puts for me being an African American. So as I navigate. When I go run, I got triggered this week because I needed a mental health break and I want to go run. And then I thought about a mod and I got triggered again. I said, I can't even run in my neighborhood because I, I just, I, we're, we're in the safe spaces. And so then it's like, you know, I, part of me is happy to be quarantined. And another part is upset that I have to feel that the only place of, of true authentic comfort is in my own home. Mm. And I think about Brianna and you can be sleep mm. in your own Man. home. Man no convictions we had and so it, it the justice part the lack of justice it just breeds and feeds more feelings of yeah. hopelessness at times yeah. uh, fear and anger but you still have hope we're still a people of hope and resilience yeah oh yeah people no, Jay. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. man no you, you brought up something man that really resonates with me man about like going limp you know, and like I remember watching that video about what that you know what the father's teaching his son if a if a cop has his knee on, on the back of your neck, and you know how he told his son to go limp, like allow your body to really relax. That way you can breathe, breathe slow, and and that idea of like going limp to survive. I mean, what what a powerful image um, for living, you know, in this world as a black person. Um, and then you know to to tug at that, where it gets even more frustrating. George went limp for two and a half minutes, mm. and that didn't help him. Mm. He was that like that. The, the officers were on him for over eight minutes. Um, so whether this autopsy shows that it wasn't due to asphyxiation, and it was uh, uh, prior health conditions compounded, mm. it was compounded by the pressure of force for over eight minutes that led to those yeah. of course his death. but we're not trying to justify for one we're not satisfied with one officer being arrested there were multiple who sat there as people were saying he's not conscious can you yeah. check both the lack of empathy for those who are supposed to protect and serve is where the injustice is because when we see that video as a person of color i see it with I, for one i see an image of my uncle my cousin, mm -hmm. myself. And so I'm looking at a piece of myself and I'm looking with an empathetic eye to say, hey, I can't breathe. 
not an excuse like we heard don't do drugs that was the cops excuse so i'm looking at it for i'm looking at this video through empathy i'm looking at him say he can't breathe i'm looking at him calling out to his mom i'm looking at him to call out to his family and he's just he he knows he's in his last breath he says before i transition from this earth i want y'all to hear me at least tell you i love you like so for people to be so meticulous about Video and if this police officer was the one person who 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 killed this man, does he get third degree murder, first degree murder? George don't come back from that. Yeah. And I'm looking at that video for that. I'm looking at the video like, how are how did it take a riot and a target getting burnt down and things being destroyed for just a conviction from one person? Oh, arrest. I, I don't know if people are. This is this is an assumption. I'm assuming that people who see that video and see something totally different from their lived experience or lack of knowledge are not seeing themselves in George, but mm -hmm. seeing themselves in the officers. Mm -hmm. They're looking at the video, emphasizing with the person who knees on his neck. They're empathizing and saying, did he resist? Well, I think his finger twitched, but we didn't see the video beforehand. It doesn't matter because a loss of life does not justify writing a bad check, even if he did. Like, it doesn't justify the, the supposed crime. You are, we are all supposed to have due process of anything. Life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, due process, yeah. innocent until proven guilty. You can't be tried, yeah. you can't be all of those things and executioner. And right. think gonna be upset as a people. And it's just happened over and over and over. At some point, you just feel like, hey, this ain't up to us to fix this no more. Right. Because we've been doing this since we've been yeah. tackles since yeah. we've been here. So it's up to y'all, allies, non-people of color, to start looking at yourself and doing your own research. You see these books behind me? These are history books. This is about social justice. Let me tell you what I got to do. I got to read this book. When I was in college, being a black man, I had to learn how to be a black man. I didn't have any father figures. I had uncles. I had a grandfather who was great. I didn't have a dad that was in my house like that, right? But that wasn't an excuse. But to survive, I did my research. Let me pull from other stories. I got Cornell West, race matters, because if I'm gonna to talk to democracy and talk about how to bring people together, I gotta to research that. Let's look at W.B. Du Bois, the narrative of Frederick Douglass. Let's look at Stamp from the Beginning by Ibram Kendi. You're like, how to be an anti-racist. We are doing our own research to try and train other people that are not people of color to see us as human beings and equal. CJ, this is this is one, this is where you go wrong. This is one place you go wrong. Is that that the premise there is that we're people. And that's the problem, right? And I know we talked about this for a second, right? but it's like, if, remember I talked about the dog, right? If one day dogs got the same rights as people, someday people would look at these dogs and go, whoa, what, what you doing in this house? Like, you need to, ain't you supposed to be back there in the cave? Oh, you, not only do you want to eat food, you want to eat food at the table with me? Like, oh, that's okay. That's what, oh, you want to you want to eat not only eat food with me, you want to go in line ahead of me. What? It's not gonna happen. It's not gonna happen. And the reason and and we can and the point there is that like for for white people, especially white males, those white males who you know for four hundred some odd years ago, you know, played a role in starting transatlantic slave trade, is this concept that we went to go get to your point, 
not people, right? If we went to go get, like you said, putting a label on them, we went to go get slaves, we went to go get cattle, we went to go get something that would work for us to make us money. The same thing that we do with horses and cows is the same thing we're planning to do with these dark-skinned Negroes, whatever we want to call them. And now we are those with the, the descendants of those Negroes, right? And we're saying, wait a minute, we're not we're not slaves. The people that were enslaved. Right? Was, yeah, we were enslaved people, never property. Never um, property. And we never thought we were property. <laughs> we we might have cold switched again. <laughs> still do today where yeah. my and my Jordans and LeBrons and all of my, mm. my African guard and everything that I hold culturally dear stays here. But when I'm at work, I got to mm. show up to make sure everybody there knows that they feel comfortable. Man. You know, I, I'm not combative. I'm not a intimidating something. And I should be intimidating because I'm very intelligent because I put in the work. Right. And think about, think about being... And I know you see this in your work too, man. My homeboy texted me about this. He said, I can't imagine what it's like to be a black therapist right now. Yeah, man. Right? To, to try to hold space for people who are hurting, who look like the people that killed George Floyd. Mm. Um, to, to help white women through their depression and through their anxiety, through their traumas, knowing that a white woman called you know on this man in central park trying to get him to look like george floyd when it was all said and done no matter what um, actually happened like how difficult it is to hold an emotional space while feeling traumatized yeah. um you know it is and the only way one of the only ways maybe the most effective way i should say to do that has been um you you know, uh, that group chat, yeah. when you, me and the fellas, guys are checking on each other, appreciate that. Um, you know, my homegirl sent me a, a, like a, a, how to grieve through uh, racial trauma. And I thought, okay, this is really dope. This is helpful, I wanna share that um, in a moment, man. And the other thing that's been extremely helpful is the times that I hit my timeline, I have seen, and for some reason, I don't know what it is, I don't know if it's the man's name or what, I have seen a crazy amount of allyship, more than I've seen in the past. Yeah. Like, I didn't see this for Trayvon, no. you know? No. I, I didn't see none of this stuff, man, for, for the other young men that have died since, right? What I saw was a lot of silence, and that silence has been deafening. But this time, I'm seeing people come out of the woodworks, mm -hmm. and I don't get it, but all I know is that allyship is the catalyst for change. Yes, um, and, and change, for not just social justice for us, mm. but also for any feelings of guilt or thoughts of fragility. Allyship is the action item that helps this sickness of racism be eradicated. You see what I'm saying? So it's the, the silence, it might be silence to us and it can be deafening, but it's loud in many people, people's ears who aren't black or brown, but white people. Like, I, I, and I have, I have a really good core of friends that help me to keep that hope that it's not a fight that can ever be won or, 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 or be, or, or have progress and progression, you know? And so, like, they want to know, you know, how do I deal with uh, white guilt? How do I deal mm -hmm. with uh, feeling like I want to help 
and I'm I'm fearful of saying and doing the wrong thing, you know. And so that helps me, like you were saying, that helped me. Allyship, it's it's a prescription, you know. Now it comes in different doses for what your your, your need is, you know, for your level. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know, but it it helps us and it helps y'all. So yeah. we need y'all to do your research. Part of being a great, I'm glad this is probably a, a, a perfect segue. Before we get to that segue in allyship, you know, um, I just want to say thank you as a mental health professional, bro. Um, we talk as brothers, as friends. Um, when we don't talk, I know we're both going through some internal thought where we have to have our distance so when we connect, we know how to communicate with one another. Um, but I know that's, I, I, I can't imagine the pressure that you're going through um, in the work that you do. Um, you know, I'm seeing it from a DNI perspective, uh, but I, I have, you're dealing with people's thoughts, emotions, uh, feelings virtually. You know, you're, so there are so many layers that you go through, and I just want to commend you for the work that you're doing. Um, and I mean, it's a Friday, and this is what we spend our Fridays doing is uh, even after we may have poured a lot out of our cup, this is how we pour back into each other. Um, your cup too with thank yous and giving you your flowers while you are here and need them. Um, so I just wanted to say that. I appreciate you. I love you, bro. And thank you for being the spirit that you are. Man, I really appreciate that, bro. There's, there's, there's nothing that keeps my cup full than, than that. You know what I mean? And, and just because I work in mental health, um, it doesn't mean that I'm the only person holding space, right? This is one reason why I think you and I even started talking about this podcast because our personal interests somehow led into our professional locations right. um, and you know although my job is to create space hour after hour after hour if you can't create space you can't do your job so um, the the amount of passion and the amount of um, like kind of genuine care that you bring to what you do is invaluable as well so i'm really grateful for you i love you too um, you know i, I Allyship, yeah, you were saying a word on allyship, man. Yeah, man. Um, the research um, is out there for those who are looking to be good allies. Um, I think the best research is research that has been done in conjunction with people of color and non-people of color, and the non-people of color have delivered it for their, their you know, the other other non-people of color as well. Um, I think there's a language, there's an understanding. Like I wouldn't expect a a white person to speak to the black experience the same way. I I can't speak to allyship as a black person that's not white. You know what I'm like there there's there's a there's a shared understanding there. Yeah, um, makes sense. Oh yeah. So there's some good work that a good resource. I'll see if I can find some links to put out there for your you know for those who are seeking uh, for those who have been in your space of not knowing how to go through and they've gone through the process and they've seen things get better and them help in you know against systemic oppression and how to show up for their friends um and 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 how to allow their friends up space and express what their needs are to not speak for them um so right. i think that, that that's great um but there is also a space to form some understanding of our experience um, again, I, I talked about um, just two books by Ibram Kendi, bro. Um, the one that Ibram was a professor at the University of Florida uh, while we were there. So when Trayvon Martin, when the Trayvon Martin situation happened, um, 
the Black Student Union, a Black Graduate Student Organization, met at the Institute of Black Culture. And we had a panel discussion that included Ibram and the police chief. And we didn't know what to do. You know, we're a satellite campus. So everybody comes from all over the country to, to, to go to school for three to four years, um, and then we leave. So it's a bunch of people from all walks of life, all different experiences, people of color trying to figure out what do we do? And there were brown folks and white folks there too. It was great. And Ibram had just wrote the book just wrote a book. We didn't know who he was. He was, like, <laughs> he was like, listen, I need y'all to understand. Y'all should read my book. Mm. This book is the divisive, the, the definitive history of racist ideas in America. So we talk about language. Like he talked about how when um, they, 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 they called us slaves instead of enslaved people. Like these ideologies, these, these thoughts and opinions they all have historical context. The language, the words that we use, I mean, the concept of thugs versus very nice people, all this has historical context and bearings and undertones that can nice. see. And so this book helps break down some of the historical context. But though, he then put out another book. First off, he was the youngest, uh, one of the youngest people to receive uh, the National Book Award. Uh, he now works in DC doing uh, anti-racist work. And his next book is how to be an anti-racist. I mean, this book, uh, he says, the only way to undo racism is to consistently identify and describe it and then dismantle it. So for those who are looking to be allies, to have some understanding from people of color, um, those are two options, both from Ibram. Uh, he's amazing, great guy. Look him up on YouTube. A lot of the stuff that he talks about is free, free information. Um, yeah. So um, just, just, Throwing out because again, I said these conversations we, we want them to be for everybody. Um, Absolutely, man. book that I pulled a lot from too, though. So yeah, I wanted to pull up, man, as well. So so you hit a really amazing side, which is like, what do we do for our allies? Um, and I noticed um, today I made a post on my uh, my, my IG page, my Dr. Sox page, um, and uh, by the way, it's at Dr. Psychology, Dr. Psychology. Uh, on Instagram, so check me out there. Um, and you are at I Live Mighty. Is that right, Jay? That's right. Cool, man. So, um, yeah, I remember I saw a post about not needing to be black to feel outraged. And um, so I, I posted this picture, but what kept coming to me for the caption was, yeah, it's a nice picture, and the picture's about allyship, and I care. I, I personally have quite a heart for allies and allyship. But I also care a whole lot about the black folks who are struggling with the trauma themselves, who might not know what to do with it, um, to do with the trauma, the experience of being traumatized over and over and over again. Um, so I went to my, my page and under that, you know, in the comment section, I just basically asked, you know, for the folks of color, if you got any concerns, you got anything going on, you know, let me know in the comments that we'll be able to provide some support. Um, but, you know, I had a friend who sent me a post, uh, grieving from racial trauma. Um, and it talked about how grieving the loss of black folks who are murdered at the hands of uh, whiteness is painful, it's traumatic, um, exhausting, and confusing, to your point. Um, we, a lot of those same folks, you and myself included, have to then show up you know, at our job. There's no day off for racism. Otherwise, I had every, every day off, right? Mm -hmm. um, so one of, some of the tips that were given, I really appreciated this, uh, was grieving for racial trauma can look like things like releasing, giving yourself permission to take breaks from social media and the like. Check in with your loved ones, right? Creating a strong social support system. Really appreciate it, guys. Uh, prioritize your self-care. Um, I, as a black person, really struggle with that. Um, the line, because as a kid, I wasn't raised, uh, I was raised in a black church, so I wasn't raised 
um, to consider what I need. Um, yeah. A lot of the things that were happening in my life when I was growing up, it's about how to make other people feel comfortable. And the idea that the type of Christianity that I, I remember at least growing up was one that was centered around selflessness, which is amazing. And I think is the cornerstone of the religion, uh, selfless, selflessness and love. But I didn't learn as a result, I didn't learn a lot about boundaries and caring for me. Um, and I think that throughout my journey as a therapist and, and just as, a, as an adult, started to consider like, what in the world is Dennis need? And that I think has positively impacted my relationship with self and others. Um, talk it out, again, talk, speaking to a therapist or someone who um, does some type, of, um, some type of work in the community around, you know, how are you doing, right? So, so there's some research, the reason I say it that way is because there's some research um, that has surfaced about the impact of the church and informal mental health services in the black community. And so we, are, uh, we may have to change our language on what we describe as seeking mental health help. Um, you know, right now we look at mental health help as you know, coming to see someone like myself, right? Seeing a professional, uh, there are lots of barriers for black folks to come see me um, as a therapist in that, in that role that I play. But I remember you know, growing up being in a barbershop and having some conversations that mattered, going to church, having some conversations that mattered. I had some homeboys, like you mentioned, I didn't have my dad in the house either. So trying to find somebody to talk to about stuff that was difficult. Um, you know, so finding ways to both seek both informal um, um, mental health services as well as some formal services because, you know, I, I went to school for a long time because there's, there's some things that are imperative to mental health that might not be able to be figured out um, in an informal setting. And then finally, uh, to get empowered, um, to find some ways to feel like you can do something. This comes back for me um, as a therapist, especially with the substance use work I used to do, the serenity prayer was an imperative, like it was I mean, a germane part of my work. And what I've learned is that serenity prayer, uh, basically around finding ways to figure out what you can control, um, that prayer permeates every part of my job. I mean, it could be a conversation with a friend who's calling me because they don't know what to do with this black stuff. Um, it could be a, a patient that's struggling with some chronic pain, man. It could be myself when it comes to like, you know, having a partner who might want me to hang with her instead of work on this paper at 12 o'clock at night. You know, like trying to figure out what can I control versus the things that are, that are out of my hands. And I think as people of color, we're looking to, to your point about the language, as people of color, um, you know, it's really, really hard to stand by and watch us get treated like cattle um, in 2020. Yeah, yeah, man. I, I... The, it, it, I, when we talk, you know, it, I've been trying to process just yeah. how we got here, you know, mm -hmm. and I mean, just, just to this point, not, not, not like how we got here, like, but I mean, from the right. perspective of how do we get to having to say people of color, non-people, mm -hmm. white mm -hmm. people, you know what I'm like, right, right, right. At the end of the day, you know, as a as a diversity and inclusion practitioner, speaker, leadership person, all about inclusion and equity. My only goal, though it may not be realistic, because I feel like, you know, humans will always find a way to discriminate and segregate and prejudice in certain aspects. But the 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 engine inside I tell myself is work harder and work yourself out of a job. Well your your job is a DNI role in a corporation is no longer needed because it's ingrained in the fabric. And so what does that look like? We're not looked at 
as cattle, as people of color, as property, as thugs. We're looked at as human beings. But the problem with the system of oppression and oppressive systems is that you have to go back every year, decade, generation, thousands of years, and talk about where those seeds were planted to get back to a space where we are just humans. Mm. So what we're trying to do is unravel the conditioning of segregation and prejudice of, 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 of each other. Um, wow. We're usually the oppressed right now as a minority population right now. Um, and it's all about, hey, this is why what you said is racist. You might not understand that it's racist. Here's the his history behind it. You see what I'm saying? Man, so, man. When, you know, when you hear people say, you know, I don't see color, I need you to see color right now. Once, nice. we, are, once we are all humans and treated equitably as humans, then I, I can I can deal with that, but in this right. moment, given mm -hmm. the systems, the seeds that were planted since we arrived here, mm -hmm. things that we are still seeing are the residuals of undiscussed conversations, unhad, uh, breaking down of systems that still yeah. allow blackness to be a threat. That still allows my blackness to be received as uh, a complaint versus an expression of pain. We see it in health mm -hmm. in healthcare. Yeah. Our black yeah are exponentially at more of a disadvantage of surviving pregnancy because like you were talking about, uh, several doctors don't, the, 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 un, the indestructible black woman, oh, that yeah. does not exist. They're not really in pain. You know, George Floyd, he's on the ground. He wasn't really in, play, in pain. Alton Sterling, suffocated, he can't breathe. He wasn't really in pain. Like wow. things where if you can get back to human rights, you have empathy Man. for it. But we have to dismantle and discuss systems. And these systems are wow. the systems that we built. So we need people hmm. to take part of the dismantling of systemic oppression. Wow, Jay, that's good, man. Man, what you make me, man, that is really good because there's a part of this that is like, let's say, for instance, the white officer's belief that the black man can handle more pain than any other human right so there's this real disconnect between like being three-fifths of a person mm -hmm. and then being superhuman you know there's this the black woman who is put at the bottom of the totem pole when it comes to pay other other resources in the workplace so they are nothing but at the other end of the spectrum the black woman feels like she can't go seek therapy for example because she has to be perceived as an invincible black woman She's got to be a strong black woman, right? So there's this real interesting chasm. And, and with, within that chasm, right, is humanity, right? Personhood is the ability to be fallible, the ability to have struggle. In fact, the same thing I'm talking about is the reason why we can't go see therapists, right? Because on one end, you know, hey, I, I got problems, I got issues. I'm not, a, I'm not even a person, but I either got to be nobody or I got to be able to handle everything. And I can't just have a bad day. Yeah. Right? I can't, I, even at my job, I can't feel traumatized because other black people were killed this week. Yeah. I can't take a mental health day, even though of all the weeks to take mental health days, this was the week. I mean, I Bruh, I'm, I'm a whole psychologist and I can't take a mental health day. <laughs> if there was a day, you know, these were the days. <laughs> Man, but you, 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 you're spot on, bro. It's this dichotomy of like, you know. How do I take up space as a human being? And then we talked about it in, in, in a few of our other podcasts. Of, you know, we've been conditioned. You gotta be twice as good to be 
to be just the, 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 the standard. That conditioning says we're supposed to experience twice as much trauma as well. That's not the case. We're not right. What we're supposed to be focusing on is that we shouldn't have to work twice as hard to get the same equitable resources that everybody else has. Yeah. We say things like, oh, I was killed because I was black. Back to the language. You were not killed. He was not killed because he was yeah. black. He was killed due to the ills and the disease called racism, prejudice, bias, and unconscious bias. And so what we have to understand is it's not because I'm black. It's not because you're black. It's not because somebody's It's the system. It's because we're not having the conversations of what we need to do to dismantle these systems that get hey. to progress for both sides. That's good. That's good. And not only talking to the, to the white folks. Right, exactly. Not just talking to the white folks about this, but like we perpetuate that same system, right? If I feel like I got to be Superman yeah. and I can't be fallible, that I'm giving myself the same message they giving giving me. You gotta be super. You gotta be better than my 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 dad. Well, the guy I call my dad, love him to death. My biological dad. I ain't have a dad in the house. My homeboy dad was my dad. But anyway, like you know, my dad. He said like you know, son, you gotta find the hardest working person in your whole job and work ten percent harder than them. Yeah. And and I was amazed. He said only ten percent. But his point was. You don't want to burn yourself out. <laughs> like you want to find them, you want to work harder than them. But if you do fifty percent, then yeah. you know you're doing too much. If you do ninety percent or hundred percent, you're not doing enough. Do hundred and ten percent. And I've I've lived by that since I was four, since I met him at age fourteen. Yeah. And like and now at 35, 21 years later, I'm still finding the hardest working person in that office. And yeah. in every single way. I mean, when it comes to how much I disclose, if I mm -hmm. find somebody who discloses a whole lot, then or somebody who don't disclose anything about how they feel, I gotta pull back a little bit. But that's better, right, than the person who is who's already in that position. Or if I find somebody who's seeing this many patients, got this many no-shows, my job is to have 10%. My point is that, like, to your, I gotta keep running. I gotta run a little bit faster. Yep. I gotta be, I ain't gotta be bulk fast, but I gotta be a little bit faster so I can stay ahead of yeah. crazy, man. Yeah, man. Yeah, and, and what does that do to us? You know, it, it, it puts us in a space where we don't recognize that we've, we've, been, we've been operating past burnout. And we've been, and, and not only are you working harder, so imagine if it is based on the perception of what equitable hard work is. We're also doing it with a lens of having to make the people that we work with comfortable, leaving some of our identity at the, at the door um, and only picking that back up when you get home. Um, I mean, we talked about it too um, in our previous kind of conversation that we've had though. Um, one thing that has really been, uh, I had a friend, I have a friend, uh, Chris Weaver. Uh, he was doing, he did PhD in, in, in political science, UF, right? And he was saying that, you know, he, he would teach and, you know, sometimes in his clothes and I, when I just got our clothes, you know, and he said, you know, when I show up in my office hours, I'm in my gym apparel. This is how I work, but this is who I am. I'm still professional and whatnot. He said, and, and I was like, well, you know, are you sure? And he, he made a point that stuck with me and I immediately made changes that day. He hmm. said, if you truly said you hired me, because of the diversity that I bring and it makes your company better, it makes your school better, it makes your program better, then acknowledge and allow me to bring my diversity into mm. this. And I was like, damn, that's good. And that's right. so real. And it made me take a step back and say, bro, have you been showing up as your authentic self in these classrooms? So we sneak ahead. Matter of fact, we even skipped that segment. <laughs> we did. We did. <laughs> 8-11, and you cried. <laughs> Ice cold. <laughs> the ice cold. <laughs> I'll show you yours in a second. I know. 
Uh, <laughs> I wear my sneakers. I wear my sneakers to work. I wore my sneakers when I would teach leadership development in groups and teams because I had to start bringing in more of me because at the same time I realized that if people never see real images of us, if you never see me in a hoodie, if you never see me in a tank top, if you never see me, you know, in, in a dashiki, but the only time you see those images is through conditioning on the media where it's either in a mugshot or someone yeah. choked out. Yeah. Equated to fear. So I got to show up and say, I take up space, and this image of blackness is a doctor. Act according. And if Man. it's something you've never seen before, that's not my fault. But it's also a responsibility for us to start showing up more authentically because that's, all, that's one of the only ways we are going to be able, and, and we understand retaliation and pushback. So I say this from a, a space of where you're comfortable, where you feel safe. But just the idea that, yeah. We're just assimilating if we're not able to show up. And so for corporations who talk about diversity and inclusion, if you're not driving authentic inclusion, if you're not driving people to show up as themselves, to bring their religion, to bring the, the things that they care about, to bring their conversations and ills and concerns and hurt, if you're not allowing them to bring that in, it's affecting your bottom line. Because here's the thing, this whole week has been the least productive week for me. Now, from a DNI standpoint, most productive because this is what I do. But from a, a standpoint of sitting, talking to employees, talking to family and friends, texting the group chat, trying to show up and still be present rather than take a mental health day, all of that could have actually driven bottom line results in something else. So to think that DNI is just something that's not an essential part of human resource or the culture within your company, you're losing if you're not allowing us to show up. Real. That's real, man. Um, and I, I really, um, I couldn't have said it any better around like trying to show up for work because that internal process I struggle with regularly. I'm going back to work soon and, and I'm thinking about like, you know, uh, one of my coworkers is next door to me, uh, Dr. Moxley. She does an amazing job. I mean, she's got African masks from all over the place. She's got books up about black. I mean, she's got some of the most amazing. She's great at decorating, I think. But the point here is that, like, in addition to that, she shows up as a black woman. She's the only black um, practitioner, black female practitioner that we have. I'm the only black male practitioner that we have in our clinic currently. Um, we've got some folks who do an amazing job you know, in our admin team. Um, but as far as people who practice here, uh, she's the only black woman, I'm the only black male. And um, it's amazing because I really admire the way that she shows up to work. Uh, I, I'm always trying to figure out, you know, if I'm wearing a shirt and tie or if I'm wearing a polo shirt, and some of that is, is loaded, right? It's like, am I gonna feel like myself because I need to be me as I'm doing therapy with my patients. Um, I, start, I, I bought a bunch of bow ties, stopped wearing bow ties because it did, made me feel like it wasn't I wasn't able to be as authentic in session as I, as I could have been. Um, but to your point, part of who I am um, is my little Diani shirt. Uh, this is a Black-owned company that I got off of IG, so check them out. Uh, really, really dope stuff. I uh, got to have my sock. Let me see the cupid socks. I think we needed some love today, man. So we did, we did, I, we did. I, I wanted to show something that was some love. And I, I had some, uh, some co-workers back in the day when I was working in the VA in, uh, in Florida and Lake City. And they surprised me. My whole office was decorated with like socks and balloons and everybody I pitched in and bought me 30, 40 pair of socks. So that was one of the pairs that I got from there. And for my 35th birthday, I went and picked up some light, nothing heavy, 
So I'm like, little Air Max, little 97. Oh, light. Crazy. Yeah, that's so a little light. <laughs> little something light. Right? Something light, but okay. All right. Oh, the 97. So I wanted a 97. These are some voltage black ones. They're kind of crazy. But you know, a little purple in there. You know, just something that made me feel like, you know, I, I wanted my first pair, you know? Man, they fire, man. Uh, I appreciate that. <laughs> Uh, I love it, man. I love it. I'm, I'm, you, you have, you are an Air Max connoisseur. I'm seeing this. Is I like, got a little. This, 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 this is like the second pair I've seen. That's what a Black History Month. That was just whew. yeah. And man. and so and so, I got a pair on the way. <laughs> so, and and you know, I I'm excited about them. It's my first Air Max one. <laughs> so you know. We got quarantine snacks during quarantine snacks. <laughs> My man. Um, I, did, I know we're getting close to the, to the hour, man, but I had something I really wanted to share, bro. Um, it was this uh, poem by Nikki Giovanni. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's called Allowable, right? Um, Nikki. And, yeah. and, and I actually write, you know, I'm a, I, I don't know, I'm a self-proclaimed poet. I've been writing it, gosh, since I was. You don't get that book out there, Man, bro, I got a draft. So whatever, you know. So hey, you know, I'm the book publishing guy. I'll get you published book, man. Hey, I'm I'm ready. I'll send you my draft tonight. <laughs> so, man, so you know, I, as a poet, man, I actually put together this piece um, following Ahmaud Arbery's murder, and um, you know, I sat down and, and I haven't written it. You know, I just did it on a voice record. I sent it to a friend who's also a poet. He was like, just kind of, he's a white male, but. Just really blown away with like the, the message. So I'm hoping to get that out pretty soon. Just do, I don't care what to do with it, but just like I talked about us doing this podcast, right? Stop hoarding this information um, and make sure that we share um, the gifts that we've been given with the world. Um, so recently, I, so, so this coming Thursday, I'm going to be part of what they call a sangha, which is like a practice, um, like a meditation practice uh, with people of color. So I'm going to make sure to provide, you know, the the link and everything to you. I'll make sure to put it up on our social media as well if people want to join. It's open. Um, it's an opportunity for folks to just connect, people of color to connect um, around some stuff that's been going on. Um, and it's based out of here, Nash here out of Nashville, but again, it's, it's an open forum. Um, so I, they were asking for resources for you know, what, um, what might be helpful. And this is one thing I ran across that I thought might be helpful. Um, it really speaks to um, kind of, you know, uh, equality and, and kind of that threat of being a black person and as a black man I know you you definitely feel it. Um, so Nikki Giovanni said in her poem Allowables, I killed a spider. Not a murderous brown recluse, nor even a black widow. And if the truth were told, this was only a small sort of papery spider who should have run when I picked up the book, but she didn't. And she scared me and I smashed her. And I don't think I'm allowed to kill something because I'm frightened. Yeah, that, uh, yeah, I think that kind of, goes back to being human, you know, skill is the empathy of a spider. 
You know what I'm saying? Give us this. Yeah. Mm. Thank you, Sister Nick. <laughs> uh, no, I hope I hope the listeners receive something from that poem and sit on it and see what that means to them and think of, you know, what are my next steps? Um, black, white, brown, everybody. Um, man, that, that, that sums it up, man. I don't think I'm supposed to kill something out of fear. And that fear is the unknown. Um, this is a part of helping ourselves and our non-people of color, our brothers and sisters, have more understanding and understand that the things and images that you see that you might be fearful of is from a lack of understanding and a lack of unheard hurt. Um, so I know we're running up out of time, bro, but I hope that people are encouraged to still have hope, still fight for justice, for uh, dismantling of systemic oppression um, and fight for allyship, fight for family, fight for friendship, and practice social distancing because COVID is still a thing. Right. In the midst, we don't have time. <laughs> we don't have time. We don't have time. I'm done. I'm done. All right, we're done. We're done. We're done. All right. But shout I'm out done. to HBCU Pride Nation. They made the sweatshirt. Yeah. Travis, uh, shout out to the Black Onion. Uh, she told you she's an amazing artist. Um, shout out to North Carolina A&T. Shout out to Morehouse. Shout out Man. to Florida like all of these spaces and places. Um, shout out to people who listen to this whole thing. Shout out to black, brown, white, invisible, everybody, aliens, I don't know, but shout out to all of y'all. We love you, we hope you love each other and that as we process through this trying time, we understand that we all have universal human rights and all we wanna be is heard. We want you to hear us with empathy and we just want life. We want the ability to live life and to give that to others. And I think if we, if we can get back to that, it's going to take some work, it's going to take some time, but we won't give up. Won't yeah, you got that right. Your name one more time, sir, so the folks know. Dr. Jared Jones, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, all those as at I Live Mighty. Um, website coming soon. Uh, how about yourself, sir? Hey, man, well, my name is Dr. Dennis McLeod. I go by Dr. Socks. You can find me as DR Psychology. That is S-O-C-K-O-L-O-G-Y. You can find me on IG, Facebook, Twitter, um, under those names. Um, hey, I had a good time having some snacks, man. I think it's about time to stop eating snacks and go get some food. Yes, sir, brother. This, this, did me a, this did me a world of good, man. I appreciate you. I appreciate y'all, man. Uh, in honor of your shirt, we're kind of fair. <laughs> <laughs> All right, brother. All right, brother. Peace. Peace. <laughs>